Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives or become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Our listener support campaign uh, continues, and we would appreciate your support, support.greatdetectives.net. All listener donations of $7 or more receive access to the premium site. In addition, during our listener support campaign, anyone who gives a donation of $20 or more will receive a their choice of either all I needed to know I learned from Columbo or one of my uh, superhero comedy novel ebooks uh, for free as well as an additional thank you gift of uh, your choice. Among the options available are some audiobooks that we can send at the $20 level. And I have those same three uh, books available as audiobooks, so you could get Tales of the Dim Night as your ebook, and then we'd send you Fly Another Day as an audiobook would be an option. Plus, we also have a Doc Savage audiobook that is an option at the $20 level. The title is The Forgotten Realm, and there are many other options available, so uh, you can check those out at support.greatdetectives.net. And we'll also send you any Nero Wolf audiobook uh, for a donation of $100 or more. All right, well, uh, now it's time for today's episode of the Casebook of Gregory Hood, The Derringer Society. Petri Wine brings you Casebook of Gregory Hood. Tonight, the Petri family, the family that took time to bring you into the story of The Derringer Society. Another exciting story from the Casebook of Gregory Hood. And right now, I'd like to talk about those few minutes you have while you're waiting for dinner every evening. That's the perfect time for a glass of Petri California Sherry. It's the best beginning a good meal ever had. You really feel like you're enjoying the good things of life when you take time for a glass of Petri Sherry. Hold that glass of Sherry to the light. Look at it. It's a beautiful dark amber. Yes, and Petri Sherry is clear and fragrant, the way a good wine should be. Now taste it. Ah, you've got something. That Petri Sherry has a real heart-of-the-grape flavor. And look, if you like your sherry dry, you know, not sweet, Petri makes a fine dry sherry. It's called Petri Pale Dry. And if you don't know yet which you prefer, the regular sherry or the dry, why not try both? Don't buy one, buy two. But just be sure you always buy Petri. Well, it's Monday night in San Francisco, and we have a date with Gregory Hood and his friend and attorney, Sanderson Taylor. Tonight's rendezvous is at that delectable backwater, the Happy Valley Room at the famous Palace Hotel. Let's keep our date, shall we? 
<laughs> Harry Bartell, how are you? Hello, Gregory. Evening, Mr. Taylor. Good evening, Harry. We just ordered a glass of sherry. You'll join us, of course. Thanks, Greg. Be very nice. Uh, make that three sherries, Carl. Yes, Mr. Hoot. Well, gentlemen, which stories have you selected from the casebook for tonight's episode? A quite remarkable case that we filed under the heading of the Derringer Society. Well, it sounds exciting, but uh, what is the Derringer Society? Well, surely you remember those wonderful early semi-scientific yarns about Dr. Derringer, don't you? Yes, I do, Greg, now that you mention it. Uh, sort of Jules Verne stories, weren't they? Yes, and if you reread them, Harry, you'll realize that they predict just about everything from rockets to the atomic bomb. You're both members of the Derringer Society, I take it. Oh, certainly. In fact, Gregory is the president. Greg, I'm always learning something new about you. Oh, I've been a Derringer fan for a great many years, Harry, so it was only natural that I rounded up a few old cronies here who were equally interested and formed a society. We meet from time to time in a private room in Solaris, uh, uh, in Maiden Lane. On the particular occasion I'm talking about, the evening started out very quietly with an excellent dinner, fine wine, and lots of good talk about the famous Dr. Derringer. And then I rose to introduce the guest of honor. Fellow members of the Derringer Society, you will already have noticed that we have violated our long-standing stag rule. We have a lady among us. Oh, shame! No, 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 George. We've broken the precedent for a very particular reason. I don't have to remind any of you that the fabulous Dr. Derringer, that great fade-bearded scientific giant, was especially devoted to the tricks played by time. Well, our guest tonight is Miss Julia Hayes. She claims to perform exactly the sort of time-travel prophecy that the great Derringer foretold. Miss Hayes, gentlemen, claims to be able to predict future events. Dr. Barton, our psychiatrist member, has been examining Miss Hayes today, and I shall ask him to introduce her. Thank you, Mr. President. Fellow members, I must preface my remarks by stating that if I appear to speak of our guest in a slightly clinical manner, I do so with her full permission. Am I right, Miss Hayes? Yes, Dr. Barton, you may say anything you wish. Thank you, Miss Hayes. Gentlemen, this afternoon I spent some two hours examining our guest. And by all known psychological tests, she is simply normal. Perhaps a trifle below average mentality. But her record has already established the fact that she can often predict future events with surprising accuracy, quite above the laws of chance. And now, gentlemen... Miss Hayes will be quite willing to answer any question. Uh, yes, uh, Sandy Taylor, I think yours was the first hand. Uh, Miss Hayes, may I ask you any outstanding events that you predicted in the past? On May the 4th, 1937, I predicted that two days later the German airship Hindenburg would be destroyed. I predicted the death of both Mussolini and his son-in-law, Canciano. I was right as to both date and time. I am seldom wrong. Miss Hayes, how do you explain your unusual ability? I cannot explain it. It is beyond my understanding. It is a gift. When I let my mind go blank, I can see into the future. Well, Miss Hayes, can you tell me what horse is going to win the second race at Arlington tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Chester. <laughs> Hayes is our guest. Oh, sorry, Hood. I beg your pardon, Miss Hayes. I was just saying <coughs> to see. Now, let me ask you a serious question. Are you able to see into the future at will? Yes. If I make my mind a blank, I can usually see into the immediate future. Would you consider making a prediction for us now? I will try. I can promise nothing, but I will try. Monday. Monday. It is Monday at 
seen. I see the future, but not far ahead. This same night, three hours from now, at 11.15 tonight, I see a small man, a bald man with glasses. His name is Chester. No, 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 look, Miss Hayes, the joke's a joke. Quiet, quiet, Mr. Chester. Don't spoil it. She's still talking. Tonight, Mr. Chester, at exactly 11.15, you will be murdered. I think that was one of the most emotional meetings we've ever had at the Derringer Society. <laughs> it certainly broke up in a hurry when she predicted the murder of Chester. Yes. What do you make of that woman, Gregory? Well, it's hard to say. Time travel into the future is all very well in the Derringer stories. Otherwise, I don't care for it too much. Life's complicated enough in a straight line these days. Come on, Sandy Taylor, wait for me. It's Alfred Chester. He's chasing us on the double. He really must be scared. Well, I'm glad I caught you fellas before you left. What's wrong, Mr. Chester? Are you taking that prediction seriously? Well, it sounded to me more like a threat than a prediction. My reason tells me it's foolish to take the thing seriously, and yet... Well, after all, I, I did make that stupid remark about the horse races. She's a weird woman. She may have some, some odd powers that we know nothing about. What do you fellas think I ought to do? Get the police, perhaps? No, I think it'd be a little hard to convince them that you were in danger. Yes, it's... Uh... Quarter of 11 now. Uh, would you like me to come home with you until after her 11.15 deadline has passed? Oh, no, no, Hood. I won't bother you. I'm probably being extremely stupid. Well, thanks for this little talk. I feel a lot better. Good night. Good night, Mr. Chester. Good night. He really is frightened, isn't he, Gregory? Badly. Ah, oh, well, Sandy, I don't think we need to take the business very seriously. <laughs> of course not. Just the same, I have a feeling that Mr. Alfred Chester may not sleep too easily tonight. Uh, yes, dear, it's me. Are you in bed? Yes, I've been meeting. How is the meeting? Uh, I'll hang up my things and come and tell you about it. It was rather a peculiar evening. There was a woman there who claimed to be able to see into the future. Oh, what rubbish. I know, but uh, the funny thing was she... Oh, well, but that's nonsense. Uh, what's the time, Alice? Uh, it's exactly 11.15. <sighs> 11.15, then I'm safe. I need... <laughs> morning to you, Stan. Hello, Lieutenant Silvers. Good morning. What brings you to my office this early in the morning, Stan? Could we interest you in a small Ming vase for Mrs. Silvers? Oh, we have a nice line in Inca headdresses. You'd look rather fetching in one. Greg, I'm here on business. You saw Alfred Chester last night, didn't you? Sure, we both did. Why? Well, late last night, he was murdered. He was... What time, Stan? His wife says it was exactly 11.15. Great God. Then the prediction came true. What prediction are you talking about, Mr. Taylor? Chester attended a meeting of the Derringer Society last night. A woman by the name of Julia Hayes went into a sort of trance. 
predicted Chester would be murdered at exactly 11.15. Then that's a woman I've got to talk to. We'll all go and talk to her, Stan, but before we do, there's one thing I'd like to know. How was the murder committed? Chester was stabbed from behind by a medium-sized right-handed person. No fingerprints, no clue. Who are you calling, Gregory? Barton. He can tell us where Julia Hayes can be found. Uh, get me Dr. Barton's office, please. Yes, Mr. Hood. Dr. Barton? I know him. He's a psychiatrist, isn't he? That's the man. He brought Julia Hayes to our meeting last night. Here's Dr. Barton, Mr. Hood. Oh, thanks. Dr. Barton? Yes? This is Gregory Hood. Oh, yes, Greg. Can you tell me where I can get in touch with Julia Hayes? Well, she's here in my office now. And I found out something very interesting about her, Gregory. So have I, Barton. Please keep her there until we arrive. We're leaving right away. I've been examining Miss Hayes again this morning, gentlemen, and I've uncovered a very interesting fact. Miss Hayes was left-handed in her childhood, but she's been forcibly trained into right-handedness since. It's a situation that is often has uh, unpredictable psychological results, though I'll confess, never precisely like her. She is extraordinary, isn't she, Barton? Lieutenant Silvers will tell you just how extraordinary. Dr. Barton, Alfred Chester was murdered last night. Murdered by a right-handed person. What? And her prediction came true to the exact minute he died at 11.15. He did? I... Well, I... I don't know what to say. Uh, one thing I can assure you, gentlemen. Miss Hayes did not commit the crime herself. How do you know? Because I brought her back here after the meeting last night. I was working with her until 12.30. Where's Miss Hayes now? Uh, in the other room. Uh, you want to talk to her? Yes, Dr. Barton, I certainly do. I'll call her in. Uh, come in, please, Miss Hayes. Yes, Doctor. These uh, gentlemen want to ask you a few questions. What questions? I understand you predicted the murder of Mr. Alfred Chester last night. Yes. It happened, of course. Yes. I knew it would. How do you account for the fact that you predicted it three hours before it happened? I cannot account for it. It is a gift that I cannot explain. I can see things in the immediate future. I can tell you what is to happen today before the day is out. I can tell you... Her mind is blanking out again. What can you tell us, Miss Hayes? I see a large man, a red-faced man. His name is Felton. George Felton, another member of the Derringer's party. What do you see, Miss Hayes? He will die tonight. He, too, will be murdered. But heck he will. This is one murder that isn't going to take place. George Felton speaking. This is Lieutenant Silvers again, Mr. Felton. Silvers, why don't you leave me alone? I don't want any police protection and I won't have any. But Mr. Felton, I told you that Alfred Chester was murdered last night, right after he'd been threatened by this woman. His death was a coincidence, Silvers. It was probably a prowler. But I'm not easily scared, and I don't believe in supernatural powers, even though I am a member of the Derringer Society. I wish you'd let me come over, Mr. Felton. We don't like to take any chances. Now, look here, Silvers. It's nearly midnight. My wife and I are going to bed. Don't you worry about us. If anyone murders me during the night, I'll get in touch with you first thing in the morning. Who was that, darling? Oh, Lieutenant Silvers again. Still worrying about that threat on your life. Yes, that's the fifth time he's called me today. Darling, he must take it seriously, even if you don't. Mm. 
Uh, don't you? Oh, now, <laughs> don't worry your pretty head about it, Cynthia. You run along to bed, dear. I'll lock up. I suppose you know best, George. Mm. Don't be long. Oh. Hmm. What's that? I heard something. Gregory, I blame myself for Mr. Felton's murder last oh, night. Oh, you did your best, Stan? Yes, Lieutenant. After all, you, you tried to force him to take protection, but he wouldn't hear of it. I know, but I do blame myself. Well, let's see what Judy Hayes has to say about this one. He's waiting outside. Come in, please, Miss Hayes. Very well, Lieutenant. Now, Miss Hayes, I want to know how you knew this latest murder was going to take place. I cannot tell you how I knew. It is just that when my mind is a blank, I have the ability to see into the future. Now, look, Miss Hayes, I'm a plain, straightforward police officer. One coincidence I can take. But not two. And I can't write on a police report that you knew about the murder because you can see into the future, you know. Why not tell me the truth? I am telling the truth. Oh, Gregory. See if you can get anything out of her. Miss Hayes. What is it? I understand about your being able to travel into the future, but surely you must be able to remember more about what you saw when you had that vision. Try and think back, will you? Think back? Back? No, I can only see forward. Forward. Scott, my mind's blanking out again. I see another death in the immediate future. Sudden death. The man is tall and dark. His name is Hood. Gregory Hood. You'll hear the rest of Gregory Hood's story in just a second, so I'll tell you quickly about a wine I know you'll like. That wine is Petri California Muscatel. Petri Muscatel is really marvelous. In fact, I'm willing to bet you like everything about it. Petri Muscatel is good just to look at, the color of sheer gold. And say, if you've ever tasted plump, luscious Muscat grapes at their sun-ripened best, well, then you know what to expect when you taste Petri Muscatel. Petri Muscatel brings you that same wonderful Muscat flavor. And you'll like Petri Muscatel after dinner, by itself, or served with fruit, for instance, peaches, or with cake. Just be sure it's Petri. Petri Muscatel, because Petri wine is always good wine. Well, Gregory, so yours was the third murder to be predicted. Considering the first two had taken place according to schedule, you must have felt a little nervous. For the first 24 hours, I was a trifle sensitive to sudden sounds, Harry. But when 48 hours had passed without anything happening, I began to feel rather let down. Let down? You should have thought you'd have been grateful. <laughs> Gregory has an ingrained sense of melodrama, Harry. I think he felt cheated because the spotlight was on him and he didn't have a scene to play. Exactly, Sandy. As my old father used to say, if you're fortunate enough to hit the headlines, for heaven's sake, make the most of it. But how could I? The other two killings had followed right on the heels of the prophecies. Now, mine had been predicted, and nothing happened at all. It was rather humiliating. Well, that's one way of looking at it. In any case, I'm sure you didn't just sit down and wait for someone to try to kill you. Oh, no, no, Harry. As soon as Julia Hayes uttered her dire threat, Lieutenant Silvers and I went into action. We questioned everyone and checked alibis till we were as black in the face as a couple of end men. But after three days of this, we had progressed exactly nowhere. On the night of the fourth day, I remember, Sandy and I sat in my apartment discussing the whole business. 
Gregory? While you and Lieutenant Silvers have been doing the legwork, I've been doing some serious thinking. Splendid, Sandy. What conclusions did you arrive at? I think there's only one answer to this case. And that answer is? Dr. Barton's a psychiatrist. Julia Hayes is slightly subnormal. I wouldn't mind giving you odds that he hypnotized her into performing the two murders. She'd be an easy hypnotic victim. I've thought of that possibility. Have you figured out his motive? No, but I'll skip that for the moment. One thing we do know, he had the opportunity. He was the only person who was alone with the woman for any length of time between her arrival in San Francisco and her first prophecy at our meeting. Very true. And I think I could provide your missing motive, Sandy. We've checked on Dr. Barton thoroughly. The wife of George Felton, the second man murdered, was a patient of Barton's. She was also a beautiful woman, no doubt is now a very rich one. I've gleaned rumors that her relationship with Barton was a little more uh, cozy than that which usually exists between doctor and patient. In that case, how would you account for the first murder, the stabbing of Alfred Chester? Well, that could have been a blind to establish a pattern and conceal the motive. Well, if that were the case, your death would be necessary also. True, true. Darn it, Sandy, this is all supposition. We haven't a real lead to follow. There's one thing I will settle, though. Who are you calling? Dr. Howell is staying at the Fairmont. He's probably the greatest psychiatrist in the country. Uh, um, Dr. Eustace Howell, please. Well, what can he settle? Whether Julia Hayes could have been hypnotized into committing murder. Uh, Dr. Howell? This is Gregory Hood. I'm fine, thanks. Yes, I'd like to. Uh, in the meanwhile, do you mind if I pick your brains? Yes. Yes, here's my problem. Is it possible to hypnotize an individual to commit a criminal act against his will? Thanks. Thanks. I thought so. Much obliged to you. I'll call you in a day or two. Goodbye. Can't be done, huh? No. He says the answer is an unqualified no. Well, I'm going to accelerate my own murder. <laughs> Tell me what flowers you like first. I'm very fond of Transvaal daisies, Sandy, but don't worry about my funeral left. Yes. Uh, Lieutenant Silvers, please. Who can play at this game, Sandy? Oh, Stan? This is Greg Hood. No, no, no more leads, but I have got a brainwave. Pick up Julia Hayes and bring her up to the apartment as soon as you can. Yes, we'll be waiting for you. I cannot answer any more questions, Mr. Hood. But, Miss Hayes, you predicted that I would be murdered in this apartment. Doesn't the setting ring a responsive chord in your memory? No. No, it does not. Your other prophecies came true. What happened to this one? I do not know. I cannot explain it. Perhaps you've lost your mysterious power, Miss Hayes. Oh, perhaps you never had it. Perhaps you made the whole thing up. Why not admit you're a murderess who poses as a prophet? I am no murderess. I can see the future, or I could. Something has happened to me. You never could see the future, and you never will. But I'll tell you your future, Miss Hayes, if you don't tell us the truth. You'll end up in the gas chamber, and I don't have to be a clairvoyant to know that. Stop talking like that. Leave me alone. I won't stay here. Come back. No, no, Stan. Let her go. I'll tail her, though, Greg. Good idea. She's upset. She might show her hand. I'll be back later. Well, there's still no near the solution, Gregory. I don't know. I swear there's still hypnotism in it somewhere. I have a hunch that Julia Hayes isn't conscious of it. That alibi of hers for the first killing might be a true one at that. Hello? Yes, Barton? I, uh, I have rather a serious confession to make to you. I lied to the police. About what? In saying that Julia Hayes was with me at the time of the first murder. She wasn't. Why did you lie? Well, the woman seemed such a unique psychiatric study. I wanted to complete my examination before the police nabbed her. Now I've finished my research with her. You can tell the police they can pick her up. 
Tell them yourself, Barton, and I wish you the worst of luck in explaining it to them. There's a man that danced at his father's wedding. What did he say, Gricker? He dynamited Julia Hayes' alibi for the first murder. But in doing so, I'm pretty certain he's put the finger on himself. Dr. Howell, please. Stanley, I think we're on the right track at last. I certainly hope so. Dr. Howell, this is Greg Hood again. I want just one more piece of information, please. Can a post-hypnotic suggestion include persuading the patient that he was never hypnotized at all? It can? Thank you, Doctor. I'm immensely obliged to you. There's our answer, Sandy. When Barton demolished the woman's alibi, he also demolished his own. Then he did hypnotize her? Sure. Then he planted the apparent prophecies in her mind. After she'd made them public, he committed the murders himself. I get it. And he thought that when he scuttled Julia Hayes' alibi, we'd think she'd try to make her own predictions come true. That's it, Sandy. Fortunately for us, he's outsmarted himself and walked into his own trap. We've got him. Who's that? Is that you, Stan? What's the... What? Who turned off the light? Oh, no, you don't. Gregory! Gregory, where are you? What's happening? I'm trying to get at the light switch. Look out, Sandy. He's got a knife. Strike a match. Okay, Gregory. Hey, Gregory. Why are the lights off? What's going on? Watch out, Stan. The killer's here. He's got a knife. She's got a knife. It's Julia Hayes. She got away from me, but I trailed her back here. But it can't be. It can't... Oh, here's the light switch. It, it is Julia Hayes, Gregory. You've got your cold, Miss Hayes. Knife's in your hand at all. Well, what have you got to say for yourself? I'm sorry I did not kill you, Mr. Hood. Well, that's very friendly of you, Miss Hayes, but I, I'm completely confused. Well, so am I, Gregory. You just finished proving to me that she couldn't be the killer. Well, I, I don't know what more evidence you want, Greg. The knife's in her hand, and she admits she wished she'd killed you. Yes, I admit it. You all made fun of me. You did not believe in my gift. If you had died, then all my predictions would have come true. But I am no murderess. Of of course you aren't, Miss Hayes. What are you talking about, Gregory? But don't you see? She's holding the knife in her left hand. There's the answer. Come on, Lieutenant. Let's go over and see Dr. Barton as fast as the squad car can get us there. Yeah, this is all very dramatic. A police inspector, an amateur detective, and his attorney stand in my home and accuse me of murder. Is this some form of practical joke? If you think it is, you must have a very warped sense of humor. I don't think the judge will find it funny, Dr. Barton. And I know that your attorney won't. But this is ridiculous. You're suggesting that I hypnotized Julia Hayes into making murder prophecies, and then that I carried out the murders myself? To coin a phrase, yes. But, my dear Hood, you've just admitted that she attacked you tonight. Yes, you suggested the idea. And the three of us, by taunting her with her failure as a prophet earlier on, helped. Her never-too-stable mind snapped, and she attacked me to fulfill her record of prophecies. But why couldn't she have committed the two murders? You overlooked one thing, my friend. You didn't know that under strong emotion, she reverts to her childhood left-handedness. She attacked me tonight with her left hand. The murders were committed by a right-handed person. Want to argue any more? I'd like to know what you think my motive was, Hood. Oh, that's easy. Mrs. Felton, the widow of your second victim, broke down half an hour ago and spilled quite a few beans. She did? I, I mean, yes, she did. So, Cynthia's been talking. Let her come with me, Doctor. Very well, Lieutenant. I should prefer not to talk anymore. I've seen my attorney. Good night, gentlemen. I'll see you in court, Barton. Gregory, you tell the most convincing lies. That story about Mrs. Felton talking, how can you do it? Oh, it takes years of training. My old father always used to say that if you couldn't think of a really convincing truth when you wanted to make a good point, then tell a thumping great lie. <laughs> You're a chip off the old block. Sandy, I'm worried. Conscience bothering you? Mm-mm. 
I'm thinking about the Derringer Society. What about it, Gregory? Well, Sandy, brood about it. With two of our society murdered and a third headed for the gas chamber, we can certainly use some new members. Greg, that was an exciting story. How do you get mixed up in these things? Harry, I guess I'm just around when they happen. But why is it I'm never around? Well, Harry, maybe you're just the kind of person nothing ever happens to. Lucky you. You mean poor me. I bet if I were a member of the Derringer Society, things would start happening to me. Oh, I don't know. But before you can become a member, you must be able to contribute something to the society. Have you a scientific mind? I'm a genius with a tinker toy. Oh, no, no. Know anything about psychiatry? No. Hypnotism? No. Precognition? Don't even know what it means. Well, in that event, Harry, what in the world could you possibly contribute to the Derringer Society? A case of Petri wine? I should have known. They'll love me, Greg, because Petri wine is such good wine. Why, it's just got to be. With the Petri family, the growing of perfect sun-ripened grapes, and the art of turning those grapes into fragrant, delicious wine, is a heritage. It's a heritage passed on down from father to son, from father to son. No wonder Petri wine is so good. Yes, the making of Petri wine is a family affair, and the Petri family has every intention of keeping it just that. So you know the name Petri on a bottle of wine is more than a trademark. It's the personal assurance of the Petri family that Petri wine is and always will be good wine. Well, Gregory, which adventure out of the case book are you planning to tell us next week? Next Monday, Harry, I'm going to tell of a weird adventure that Sandy and I had in Mexico City some months ago. During the course of the story, I succeeded in getting myself kidnapped by a female sharpshooter. And nearly ended up with an extremely beautiful wife. I'll see you next Monday, Harry. Casebook of Gregory Hood is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher. Original music composed and played by Dean Fostler. Gail Gordon plays the part of Gregory Hood, and Sanderson Taylor is played by Carl Harbour. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. The Casebook of Gregory Hood comes to you from our Hollywood studio. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. For a solid hour of exciting mystery dramas, listen every Monday on most of these same stations at 8 o'clock to Michael Shane, followed immediately by The Casebook of Gregory Hood. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Welcome back. Another great story, and I love how they really uh, just confuse things uh, towards the end. It seemed like within uh, the last five minutes, they changed between the psychiatrist and the uh, quote-unquote prophet something like three times. And again, this is just a great series, uh, and I, I definitely wish there were more episodes. And 
And I wish they could keep a Sanderson Taylor. We have a new actor with uh, playing Sanderson Taylor. Sounds kind of British. Uh, Carl Harburg. Actually, beyond the case book of Gregory Hood, um, he uh, appeared in one episode of uh, Dark Venture, and then several episodes of Whitehall 1212, uh, which was a series about um, the uh, Black Museum in uh, Scotland Yard, and mostly in uh, character roles, it looks like. All right, well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback and uh, received just a nice note from Hugh, who says, I so enjoy your rich uh, selection of thrilling radio adventure. Well, thanks so much, Hugh. I truly appreciate it. And that will actually do it for today. I do want to encourage you to support our listener support campaign at support.greatdetectives.net. And uh, we have quite a few options for U.S. and uh, Canadian uh, listeners. We also have added some DVDs. And I've added a limited selection of those that I've watched and enjoyed and uh, believe are worth watching. Among them, we have uh, Casablanca. That's uh, available for donations of $50 or more. In addition to uh, movie sets for Nick Carter and the Saint, the uh, 1954 Dragnet movie, as well as movie sets for uh, Nick Carter and George Sanders as the Saint. And you can view all available uh, thank you gifts at support.greatdetectives.net. All right, well, that will do it for today. We'll be back on Wednesday with yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and join us next Tuesday for another episode of the Case Book of Gregory Hood. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net, and uh, follow us on Twitter, Radio Detectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.